All right, welcome in our second of two broadcaster re- reunion and uh, Zoom chats as we move along throughout the day, throughout the history of the uh, the broadcast booth with the Louisville Redbirds and Louisville Bats. I'm Nick Curran. Uh, you know, Jim Kelch, the voice of the Redbirds slash Riverbats slash Bats for some 21 seasons back here. And, uh, well, all of us have worked with Jim in the booth at some point, the, the common thread from us all. Uh, we've got some other guests here. Of course, he was in the booth for the Redbirds with Jim from 1992 to 1994. He's gone on to work for ESPN, a number of other places, uh, the San Diego Padres as well. Mark Neely with us. Mark, welcome. Nick, how you guys doing? It's a pleasure to be here. By the way, first off, thanks for putting Joe Buck and Todd Callis, who came before me on the other episode and saving the heavyweights <laughs> for this one. Well, the, I think the younger folks – for this one was what we were doing. I'll accept that. I'll yeah. accept the youth. Kelch can't accept that, but I'll accept it. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's spanned all generations, as it were. <laughs> yes. uh, next up, we have who worked with Jim from 1995 to 1997, got to be on the call for a 95 American Association Championship, and uh, uh, a lot of stuff we've had going on with that at the bats here in the last couple weeks. He's gone on to work Kent State women's basketball, the Akron Rubber Ducks, a number of other places. Dave Wilson, Joining us, Dave, thanks for being here. How are you? Great, Nick. Pleasure to be here. Really appreciate you uh, uh, arranging all this and getting us all together like this. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and Jim, a big part of it, too. And last but not least, man that worked with Jim for quite a while and then worked solo for a while and then worked with me for a while, the reason I'm here. Uh, he was in the Bats broadcast booth from 2003 to 2016, the middle of that season now with Ohio State calling women's basketball, baseball, and doing sideline for football along with work at the radio station up there. Matt Andrews, good to see you. How you doing? Good to see you guys. Nick, thanks for, uh, for doing this. And uh, yeah, Jim, you're the, you're the common thread here. And we, uh, I know we're all appreciative for, for what you meant for us in our careers. I appreciate that, Matt. And I was just thinking, uh, other than than me, you are the longest-running Louisville announcer. In fact, you and I are the only ones that have reached uh, double digits. I think that's correct. Isn't that right? I believe so. I think so. Um, You've got three years. I've got three years. I'm not sure how long Matt Gorski lasted in the booth, but I – I think I, I think, yeah, I think I hit double figures. Well, Matt Gorski barely made single figures, but that's a whole nother story. Yeah, well, it sure well, is. I just want to add that, that Mark and I, we, we really admire Matt because he was the guy who was actually able to outlast Jim Kelch. Get him out. <laughs> over the top spot. <laughs> Yeah, I was entrenched. I had, I had cement blocks on my feet. I wasn't going anywhere. Not by my own volition, but <laughs> the way it worked out. Well, I think uh, listeners here were very lucky for that, too, to have a chance to hear you for all the years that they did and, and me among them. I uh, want to start by going around the room and, and uh, just how you ended up in Louisville and, and, and well, as it were, working with Jim to, to start it out. We'll start with uh, Mark. He came first. We'll We'll, uh, we'll start with you. Yeah, that was only my third year in pro baseball. In 1990, I got my first job out of the baseball winter meetings and went to Boise in the Northwest League, which was an Angels affiliate. I'm a St. Louis born and raised guy. So my second year in 91, I got a job with the Cardinals. It was an owned and operated team in uh, 
Springfield, Illinois, Springfield Cardinals in the Midwest League. And then the opportunity came when, when Todd Callis left for the number two job. I'm like, hey, a chance to be number two at AAA in, uh, in Louisville. So that's, that's how I got the job. In fact, I remember Jim Kelch and Dale Owens and I think Tab Brockman all came to St. Louis for some reason. And I actually interviewed initially in St. Louis. I just had to drive from my home in West St. Louis. Oh, well, there, there we go. You're back. Yeah. Uh, that is, that is awesome. Uh, Dave, how about you? How did you end up uh, in Louisville on the heels of Mark? I, I was sort of a similar story. I was fairly early in my career, Nick. I was working for a Class A team down in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, I'm from Indianapolis originally, so I was, I was familiar with a lot of the American Association teams, uh, particularly, you know, Indy and Louisville. But um, somewhere along the line, I just started to reach out to different teams, uh, sent my stuff uh, to Dale. Uh, and, you know, sometime late in that 1994 season, they called, said they might have a, an opening if I might be interested. And, of course, was and uh, ended up there for three years. Indeed. And then, um, well, we mentioned Matt Gorski and then Jim worked uh, solo for a few years. And then in 03, came along Matt. How did you wind up there? Well, let me start by saying I think we all owe a, a great debt of gratitude to the late Dale Owens. I mean, it seems like that's the common theme and bond here for all of us. And Dale was integral along with Jim and, and my arrival in Louisville. I was finishing up at Ohio State in 02 and um, had been doing a couple of years of independent pro ball here in Chillicothe, Ohio. And the, the other connection for myself and, and Jim is Bill Lee, who uh, runs at the time the Frontier League, and it's still in existence. But he was Jim's general manager for Jim's first baseball job. I be, was it first or second job? Jim? Yeah, yeah. Second job in, uh, in Chattanooga. And Bill Lee, uh, the, the league commissioner in the Frontier League, after my second year, gave me a call out of nowhere one day and said, hey, I've talked to Jim, and they would like for you to apply for the job in Louisville as the number two. They were doing a number of TV games, and they wanted somebody – to be uh, kind of the, uh, the mainstay on radio when Jim did television. And uh, so that's how I got involved fall of 02, my last uh, quarter at the time, they were on quarters uh, at Ohio State. And I went down and interviewed and got the job, but was told incidentally that in order to get the job and to go do a game, any game at all, you have to go sell. And I'd never sold anything in my life. What do you sell, you know? You sell tickets. Do you get and so that, that was the Dale Owens aspect. And I didn't do a great job, but I gave the effort. And that pleased Dale enough to allow me to, to get on the radio there in April of 03. Well, I don't think that any of us, and Nick, I know you sold also, but all of us were hired with the idea that we also had to sell. And Dale and Tab and that whole group of people, Greg, uh, always thought, you guys are salespeople who also broadcast during the season. But we always thought of ourselves as broadcasters who had to sell in the off season. And I think what, what Matt said is none of us were overly good at it, mainly because we didn't care about it. <laughs> it, was, it was an area of the job and a time of the year that we just had to get through. We, we just got through it. And then once March rolled around, then we would start thinking about baseball and if we had to think about sales, you guys agree with that? Yes. 
One hundred percent. As the uh, full-time person still with the team, uh, in case anyone watches this that is uh, in charge of me, no, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> For the record. Yes. For the record. Uh, Jim, what about, what about your first impressions of these fellas? Well, let's see. Uh, Matt was telling the story about how uh, I was involved in his hiring, but with, with Mark and with Dave – it was more of a Dale Owens thing. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, I, I was in, I remember uh, Mark's story about going to St. Louis. I don't know what we were doing there, but I remember going over there and Dale saying, hey, we're going to interview an, an announcer while we're in town. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? So Mark had been in touch with Dale, maybe even Greg, I'm not sure, uh, to talk about the job in Louisville way before they let me know about it. And so I remember Mark was in, had been in Springfield, which uh, I, I knew a little bit about Springfield because, one, I'm from Peoria, Illinois, and Springfield, we used to go to Springfield to watch games when the Cardinals AAA team was there. And so I knew about Springfield. I knew Mark had done some games and had connections with the, with the uh, Cardinal organization. So I remember when he came on thinking, well, it doesn't have the bloodlines that Joe and Todd have. We'll see what's going on. <laughs> Not all the same son that I've worked with here. But, but it worked out pretty well. And Mark has that dry sense of humor. He was always, like, throwing things in there, you know. It's like, what are you talking about? And he'd be laughing in the background, you know. It's like, oh, I, I think he just got me again. And, and, and then with, with Dave, really it was the same, same story. When, when Mark left after 94 – and where did you go, Mark, right after? Did you go to Tulsa right then? Yeah, I, I did. You know, it, it, it came down. Uh, I was a first for the job in Buffalo with Jim Rosenhouse. It okay. came down to us two. And I had the offer from Tulsa and the Texas League at the same time, and I was putting them off, and Jim eventually got the job, and I went to Tulsa. But to get back to your point from when we, you came to St. Louis, I think what helped me, if you remember – our games not only were on in Louisville that first year, but they were on in St. Louis as well. Yes, so a St. Louis AM station picked up our games, and the fact that I was from St. Louis, I think, helped because I immediately became aware of how little lack of pull you had in the organization. So I, I wasn't kissing your behind. <laughs> <laughs> it was all Dale. It was from Dale for sure. Yeah, I was entering. I think when you got there in 92 and certainly into your latter stages and then into the Dave Wilson era yeah if, if somebody's career up and down on a roller coaster I think at the end of yours Mark and the beginning of Dave's I was on the downhill of the roller coaster ride in Louisville for one reason or another uh, so then you left and then and then Dave the same thing I, I didn't really I wasn't really aware that they were talking with Dave about coming in and how that was going to work and all of a sudden Dale said hey we've hired somebody to talk to you. Dave, I don't recall meeting you in an interview setting at all. No, I think um, the first time we met, I had stopped uh, up at, at Louisville during Christmas vacation. This was maybe a couple of years before when there wasn't even a job open. And I think I was traveling home to Indiana for the holidays and set up a time to stop by. And I think you and Dale and me and my wife all just sat there in the stadium club and uh, chatted a little bit, but it wasn't for a job, or it was just it was just me trying to meet people. Yeah. Okay. So then you yeah, then you came on 
and, and what would have been 95, the championship year. And uh, you're the, I think you're the only one of the group that actually then went on to do hockey. Right. Greg earlier in the other uh, podcast was talking about when the team owned the hockey franchise, you made the transition over to, uh, to hockey. And uh, it was good in one respect, I remember, because, again, getting back to the sales thing, you hated sales. And doing hockey was not about so much doing hockey, but getting out of the sales game. Dale said, if you do the hockey, you don't have to sell. And you, your hand went up and you said, I'm in, I'm in. Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was you don't have to sell as much. Oh, I thought you didn't have to sell at all. Which to me meant don't sell at all. <laughs> hey, Dave, can I interject here? Let me, let me tell a story about Kelch here. Oh, now, I actually did do one season for the Louisville Ice Sox before the Louisville baseball team took over management of the hockey team. You may remember that, Jim. I got a call from Dave Alcorter who ran the Ice Sox, and that's when John Owlers left, who's now been with the Anaheim Ducks for many years, and I did one year. And then the team folded. And how I found out the team folded is you and I are in Omaha, Rosenblatt Stadium, Stadium doing the game, and somebody gives you the ticker wire and they would have the transactions. And I had no idea that the, the team was folding. And, and you go, and you read on air, Louisville Ice Hawks announce the ending of their franchise. And I looked and I'm like, yeah, give me that pink slip right there that you have in your, in your hand. So how I found out that I lost the job for the Ice Hawks is you reading it next to me on the air at Omaha. Now, I don't remember, but that's a great story. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, Dave, starting to steal the thunder. That was before Dale and the, and the group bought the hockey franchise, and it disappeared for a while. Before that. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. brought it back as the River Frogs, and, yeah. you know, the job fell in my lap because Jim didn't want to do it, and um, he, was, he was wise to not want to get involved with it. And so I became the most uh, unqualified, reluctant uh, broadcaster in the history of hockey. But yeah, they, you done uh, hockey? I'd never done a hockey game in my yeah. life before my first broadcast with the River Frogs. I think that was, I, I went and watched a couple of the exhibition games just to try to figure out what was going on. And then it was opening night and just make my way through it. Wow. It had to be harder because I, I had never done a hockey game on radio either, but I had grown up around hockey, growing up in St. Louis and being a Blues fan, et cetera. So that had to be hard not growing up around the game to do it. Well, Dave mentioned they came to me to do the games, and that's true. I had actually played three years of hockey in high school, and then in Peoria, right before I left Peoria, I did two years of the Peoria Rivermen. Back in those days, they were in the International Hockey League. And then I got the job in Chattanooga. So I actually had some hockey experience, but even when I did the games, I was never really comfortable doing them. So when Dale came to me and said, hey, would you want to do the hockey? I was like, oh, no, no, I don't want to do the hockey. Uh, and, and so Dave got the job, and I, I'll, I'll never, ever forget this, a big meeting in the, state, in the, uh, in the office at, at Old Cardinal Stadium with all the people in there when they bought the hockey team. We were getting ready to go. And the people that ran the club, including Dale, stood up and said, we are buying this hockey team. We're going to run this hockey team. But in no way, shape, or form will it interfere with what we're doing with the baseball team. Baseball is number one. Hockey is number two. And everybody said, okay, great, great. Well, it couldn't have been 
any further from the truth. Right. <laughs> because in a matter of weeks, everybody was a hockey expert. Dave, you agree? Oh, there's no question about it. And, um, you know, guys like, uh, like uh, Gary Ulmer and Dale, uh, Tab, uh, Dave Arnold, uh, they were constantly, constantly talking hockey, talking strategy, what uh, Warren Young should be doing, what lines should be put together. It was uh, nonstop hockey talk. Everybody was a hockey expert, but no one had ever seen a hockey game before. Right. <laughs> Yeah. The only guy that didn't take part in any of those discussions was the broadcaster because I was still trying to learn the three rules. <laughs> Including some of the terminology like one-timer. Yeah, you know, I, I, was, I was throwing around the one-timer for every shot because I heard the only reason I, the way I tried to prepare myself for the season was to listen, Mark, you'll appreciate this, to Ken Wilson doing yeah. uh, blues games. And um, I heard him a couple of times say one timer, really cool. Now I had no idea what it was. I was not a hockey person. So we start uh, doing River Frogs games. I'm saying one timer on every shot. And finally a player named Eric Johnson uh, approached me and apparently he had been watching some video of a game or something. And my broadcast was on it. And, you know, he pulled me aside and, uh, suggested that I probably should tweak that a little bit because only a one a one timer is a certain kind of shot. So I, you know, I owe him a lot to uh, that I, I didn't go through the whole season like that. Funny, funny. Cutting you straight. What about your uh, first impressions of Matt, Jim? Well, I had done a couple of years by myself after the Matt Gorski fiasco uh, of 2000, which led him out of town. Uh, you know, we all needed a break. So, so I did the rest of 2000, 2001, 2002 by myself. And then I thought, you know what, I really need to get somebody in here. And uh, as Matt had said, we were going to do some TV. And so we wanted someone uh, qualified to do the games with me or uh, when I was on TV, do the radio. And I remember thinking, you know, we really need to get somebody in here who, who can potentially move up and who's earned it and who's good. Who do I know that might know some people? Because I didn't want to open it up to have all these tapes coming in and all that kind of thing. Who do I know that might know some young broadcasters? And as Matt mentioned, our friend Bill Lee, whom I had worked for in Chattanooga for, for two years, was running the Frontier League, still is running the Frontier League. And so I called him and I said, who do you have in your league that could come up here and work AAA? And he said, I only have one guy that can fit in with you. And I said, what, what do you mean by that? He said, do the games, go out at night, have some fun, you know, not be a stick in the mud. Only one guy that can do that, Matt Andrews. And he said, I'll contact him and have him send you a CD. So he did. And I remember listening to it the first time thinking, oh, that's pretty good, but I got to get into this thing a little bit more and really pick it apart. And, you know, the more I listened to it, I thought, God, this guy's pretty dang good. And so uh, we got him in there. We had lunch at the ballpark. And uh, we used to be Brownings. And, uh, uh, you know, we talked and everything. And, and I said, hey, you know, I, I, I'd hire you right now to be the, the, the number two broadcaster, but you got to go meet with James Breeding and talk about sales. And like he said, sales, what do you mean? What, what would I be selling? Like, oh, what, signs and radio and 
program ads and tickets and all that good stuff. And so he met with James and he went through the winter and he had to go through the off season. And then if he, if he did a good enough job, then he could take over the broadcasting part of it too. So it was conceivable that he could have worked in the January and February and March and not cut muster. And they'd have said, see ya. But uh, he worked out well. And I was really grateful to have a partner again, because as you guys know, AAA travel can be a real pain in the butt uh, in terms of, uh, you know, getting up at 4 a.m., catching a 6 a.m. flight to whatever city, getting in at 1, 1 in the afternoon or 1.30, and going to the hotel, checking in, getting some lunch, and boom, immediately out to the ballpark because you don't have the engineer to set everything up. you got to do that yourself. you got to get your, your uh, pregame interview, which was the albatross for all of us every day. And, and then, you know, by the third inning, you were exhausted. So after doing that for two and a half, almost three years by myself, I thought I really have to get somebody in here. And Matt fit in right away. I mean, he really did. Uh, we got along great. We roomed together. And uh, uh, we had a great time, all, all of you guys. I mean, we all had a good time when we were, we were working together. And we all have some great stories to tell. And uh, most of them will come out in, during, this, during this podcast. <laughs> Let me interject with something from the opening trip. Because as you know, Jim, we didn't travel. I mean, we were doing division games and traveling, but when you went to Norfolk and Durham, you went and I stayed back to sell. Well, the opening trip, the bats opened on the road that year. They were in Toledo. And normally I would not be on that trip. You know, first year guy, whatever. But the home opener was going to be on television. And naturally you wanted me to get on the radio and have some innings before we got back home for that home opener, which I'd have all nine innings in the home game for, for you going to TV. And we're in Toledo, and I'll never forget, Corky Miller was in the lineup on opening day. I think he batted eighth and was the first batter that stepped to the plate in the third for Louisville. But the point is, after the game, and, you know, I'm riding this high, it's freezing cold up there in Toledo, fifth, third field. We're having a great time. The game's over. The bats, I think they lost the opener or whatever, snowing outside. We go across the street, grab a drink, something to eat, and you get a phone call from Sven Jansen, the media relations PR director of the bat. And Sven, among others, had heard rumblings from the higher ups. I won't mention his name. What in the world is Andrews doing on the opening road trip? Didn't know I was going, didn't know I was going to be on the first game completely caught off guard that I was on that, on that series. Couldn't believe they'd take a rookie on that first trip. And, you know, to your defense, your point was, hey, we're, we're breaking this guy in. He's going to have the home opener. But just the fact that they didn't know that, that I was going uh, to be on the road. It made me feel great. <laughs> well, the best part of that opening road trip was, was certainly a lot of that stuff. But that was Dave Miley as the manager. Yes. And – so we, we do the game. It is bitter cold, as you say. We open the, we have the windows open because we always have the windows open. And right. the game ends. And so now I get to really see, is, is what Bill Lee told me about Andrews true or is it not true? Because we were in Toledo, and when you're in Toledo, you know, that means Jim Weber. And when we're with Jim Weber, we just kind of go where he says. And at the time – the little bar across the street was the bronze boar still is there. And that's where we hung out. And Dave Miley was never a guy to turn down a post game drink. So 
That whole crew is over there at the bronze boar, and we go over. The game was at, I don't know, 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock. By the time we got out of the bronze boar, it was probably 10 o'clock at night. So we had spent a lot of time over at the bronze boar after the game. And whether you wanted to stay that long or not, you did stay that long. So you're in a lot of early points in that first game by going to the boar. Big time stuff. The bronze boar. Now it's the dirty bird. You never know where Webley's going to have you. That's right. That's right. Now here's a – Dave Wilson will appreciate uh, this story. 95 playoffs, and uh, we're out in uh, Buffalo for the finals. Remember, we had swept Indy 3-0 in the first round, and we're out in Buffalo, and, and uh, they were juggling the times, remember, Dave, at the start of those games out there because the Sabres – were in the Stanley Cup Finals that year, remember, against the Dallas Stars. And we, one of the games out there got moved up earlier because the hockey game was at seven. I think the baseball game might have been at four. Do you remember that? That sounds very familiar. Yeah. Yes. So, so we, go, we go back to the hotel. We're staying at the Holiday Inn uh, downtown. And then we go across the street to uh, Culture Bay. Remember the, little, remember the little bar restaurant? Niels, you remember that place, Culture Bay? Do well, yeah. Yeah. So we go over to Culture Bay, and it's jam-packed full of people because they're watching the hockey game. So we're into the hockey game, and there's bodies everywhere. You can never sit that close now. And there happened to be a group of people sitting to my left, and they're watching the game, and they're like, gosh, I hope this game doesn't end two to three like the other games have ended. I hate that score, two to three. Two to three. Well, you know, I just couldn't let it die. I'm listening. And so I turn and tap the woman on the shoulder, and I say, excuse me, ma'am. I noticed you said the score of the game was two to three. And she goes, yeah, we lost two to three. It was really nuts. I'm like, well, you know, in sports, you always say the larger score first. The final score of that game was three to two. And she goes, no, it wasn't. It was two to three. Out here in Buffalo, we always say our score first. I'm like, I never heard that. She goes, oh, yeah, only in Buffalo we say our game, our score first, and then the other teams. Like, oh, well, thanks for that information. You remember that? Two to three. Yeah, I think of that in, in the Twitter age. Anytime I see that yeah. on a tweet that says uh, the lower score first, I will reply with big score goes first. And I always think of Jim when I do that. Great Monte Cristo, by the way, at the uh, at Coulter Bay. Who did? The Monte Cristo at Coulter yeah, Bay was very, there. very good at there. Yeah, yeah. Hey, since we're talking about Buffalo, hey, Nick, can I get permission from you to tell a PG story here involving hockey and baseball in Buffalo? Oh, please. Jim you don't, remember you don't need permission from me, please. Okay. I don't know if this was 92, three or four, but we play an early game in Buffalo at pilot field. There's a Sabres game that night and Pete Weber got a bunch of his tickets. Jim, I think you were there with us. It was a, it was a, uh, a, a Sabres Bruins game. Yeah. Some of the, some of the players went as well. One of those players was Mike Milchin, who was a pitcher uh, for, for the Redbirds. And Mike used to have this little thing he called the Everyman where he would startle people in public restrooms by when he would use the urinal, he would take his pants and his undergarments and, and pull them all the way down to his ankles, which, which would leave his bare backside pointing out to the general public. So a period ends of the Sabres game, 
I'm going towards the restroom. You know how it is at a hockey game. At the end of the period, everybody's rushing for – so we're one of the first ones. And as I – the door pushes open, I hear Mike say, time for the everyman. And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. So he pulls up at one urinal. I'm a few away. And then I start noticing people the, – the whole humorous part would be watching other people see Mike and see what their reaction would be. So I finished up a few urinals away and then went towards the sink. And then you just stand there by the door and you see all these shocked people walk in and see a grown man looking that way at the urinal and looking at each other like, what is going on here? And that was Mike Milchin. You remember Mike Milchin? Oh, yeah. That was the everyman. When you said Buffalo Sabre. Holy cow. He's freezing up on us here. Yeah, hopefully we'll get there. there we go. Back. Am I back? Yeah. Okay. So when you when you mentioned the Sabres game, I'm thinking Mike Milchin, Sabres Bruins, 1990, whatever that was. So that, I, I do remember that. Was that one of those games where people were leaving and we'd get the tickets and go in because they were leaving? And no, they, I, Pete Weber got us all tickets for that. We we oh. had tickets. We we had seats. Okay. And, and, and Mike was one of those guys. Hey. hey this is something we brought up during the first podcast that I'd be interested, not so much Matt, because he wasn't there at the time, but certainly Mark and Dave, of your impressions of old Cardinal Stadium when you first went in there to work. Because let's face it, it was a unique minor league ballpark. Very unique. What do you guys think? Well, from my standpoint, from a baseball standpoint, you always noticed how short right field was. But from a person who liked – Dave and Matt and Nick enjoyed imbibing after games like you did. The stadium club was a great feature and things were different back then. At that, at that point, Anheuser-Busch owned the Cardinals. They didn't own the Redbirds, but they owned the Cardinals. So beer was very prominent in the clubhouse after game. In fact, there was a keg that anybody could access in the clubhouse after the game. We, we only busted two places, Nashville and Indy. When we did, there was beer on the bus back then, and there was cases of beer. So the stadium club, and God rest his soul, Danny Bannett, who was the bartender back then, who was always kind to me, though I didn't have two nickels to rub together many times. I, I don't think I ever paid for very many drinks there. The stadium club was the most attractive thing because Mary Barney and all the baseball people would congregate in there, and you would stay. And, and I don't think that happens anymore in, 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 in pro baseball, much less pro sports. Or even the athletes, the players would come up and they would hang out in the stadium club and it was a great atmosphere. Yeah. Dave? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I remember, you know, coming out of A-ball, I was in the Sally League. They were decrepit, small bandbox ballparks. And, you know, I feel back then, mid-90s, the, the idea of being in AAA, as, as, it was different then than, than it is now. It's still a big deal. But you really felt like you had climbed a major couple of rungs on the ladder to get a triple A job. And so not only was I working for a triple A team, but you walked into it looked like a big league ballpark to me. You had the massive pictures, you had um, the beautiful colored seats, the yellow, blue, red, green seats. Um, right beside the highway. It just looked like you had 
you know, you weren't in Columbus, Georgia anymore. And I remember we had at the start of the season a, a shortstop by the name of Joe Aversa, who was a slick field, no hit shortstop. And he was at, he, he was at AAA for the first time. And I remember talking to Joe Aversa at the batting cage, like right when the team got there, it might have been like their first workout. Oh, and it had turf, you know, it had artificial turf. So that was cool too. But we were both standing there and it was like, we were both saying, this is like going to the big leagues as we looked around. And, you know, there probably maybe I could count on one hand when I, the three years I worked there, that there were actually people in the right field bleachers for a Redbirds game. But they were there. You know, the bleachers were there. And it looked like you could fit 20,000 people in there. So I, I think just the, the impression for me when I walked in there was, man, I've hit the big time. Get your phone, Mark. That's the president <laughs> calling. <laughs> yep. oh, Mark's called from his agent already for being on this. Can't get enough. <laughs> I'm one of the few people in the world that still has an actual landline in their house. My wife mandates that. Wow. <laughs> hey, I do agree, though. I, I agree with, with what Mark said about the stadium club. You know, one of the first times I walked in there, I saw the big display of when uh, – uh, George Bush 41, you know, was was at a Redbirds game. And uh, so, I mean, you know, a president had been there, you know, so. Hey, all, all Dave, I remember that game. I know, it, it, yeah. Jim, do you remember that? We came back from a road trip and, and George Bush is going to be there. And the wild thing was not the fact that they had people with rifles up on top of the stadium and all protecting the president. But do you remember during that game, I forget who the Redbirds were playing, but a fight occurred on the field. The two teams started a scrum. And when that happened, the Secret Service people around the president went ballistic. The, 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 the sniper guys up on the roof were doing this and looking around. And it was a crazy moment when the two teams chose that time to scuffle on the field with the president in the stands of the Secret Service going ape crazy. Wow. I remember uh, trying to get into the stadium. Yeah, we had been on the road. And trying to get into the stadium with uh, – which would be, I guess, Apri titled Casey One, because that was uh, the, the big red case that we used to have. Niels, yeah. remember that, Dave? Yeah. Big red case, Casey One. And we had to open it up, and, the, and uh, the security had to go through every little thing, asking what this was and what that was. And uh, it took a long time to, to get in there and, and get that done. Uh, yeah, and then the, the president was there. The night I want to mention today, the 95 season, one of the things that stood out, not only that we won the championship day, but remember we played on a Saturday night in Louisville against Buffalo. And in a real rarity, that Sunday game was in St. Louis. Do you remember that? Yeah. We, I don't know how it got worked out or why it got worked out, but they moved that game to Bush Stadium, St. Louis, which would have been Bush Two, I guess. Is that right? Bush two. It, you know, it had the arches at the top. Casey yeah. one and Bush two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been. No, I think it was Casey. Yeah, it was Casey one and Bush two. That's exactly right. So, so we go to St. Louis after the game on a Saturday night, have to drive over there a good four and a half, five hour trip, and end up playing at one o'clock on Sunday afternoon. What do you remember about, uh, about that day in St. Louis? 
I, I remember several things about that day. Pete, it was, Pete, it, it was, it was a, um, a decent idea that was completely and totally botched by the Redbirds organization. In that nobody knew about it. It was not promoted in the least. So we go over there to play. I drove over that day in a van with a bunch of the Redbirds front office people, a lot of the interns. So we get there, absolutely no one there. Now the Cardinal, this was not part of like a double header or anything. Cardinals were on the road. So we're in an absolute empty Bush Stadium in St. Louis. Just like we teleported in there and with nobody's knowledge, but we were gonna play a baseball game. So I remember getting to the press level and a couple of guys were working there and they were ticked off that they had to come in on a Sunday afternoon and fool around with this minor league baseball game. So they were a little salty. Uh, I wanted to write the lineups on the, on the board in the press area. And they were like, why, like, what, why, why do you want to do this? So they, they were not very happy at all. They weren't very cooperative, but we set up in the, the home radio booth and obviously you and I were, in heaven, you know, we were sitting there like we were big leaguers. So we're sitting there. I think this is shortly before the game. We, we look around, in walked Jack Buck. Right. And we're both looking around in awe. There he is. He's standing at the top of the steps of the booth. And he looks down at the red case. And he points at it and he goes, who carries that? And you said, I, I, I do, I do. So Jack proceeds to stand there and talk with us for a while. And as I, now that I think about it, I think it, the game was actually going because you had continued the play-by-play -play and I stood up on the steps and talked to Jack for a little while. And then uh, he actually came on the air with us. Yeah, he came on in the second inning. I had run into him earlier that morning in the press room uh, and he said he was going to be around. Did I want to have him on the air? And I said, yeah. What about the fifth inning? He goes, no, no, no. I won't be around in the fifth inning. What about the second inning? And I said, okay. <laughs> and I, I do remember this. It was so incredibly hot. It may be the hottest day I ever remember in my career. It was so hot. I remember coming out of the first base dugout, walking to the third base dugout before the game, and in a total – Sweat. I mean, NFL, a full lather. A full lather. It was so hot. <laughs> and in fact, Dave, you had a little heat incident during the game. You had to go lay down in the back of the booth. You know, I, I, um, <laughs> it was oppressively hot. And I, at that time, was going down to the field to do the star of the game show. That's and right. So, um, you know, being stationary in the booth kind of helped cope with the heat, but, you know, around the bottom of the eighth inning or whatever, I headed down to the field, which, in, and, you know, in the old Bush Stadium, the turf down there, it was hotter at field level than just the regular air temperature. But um, the Redbirds were the home game, home team, and 
the MVP of that season, Ray Gianelli, hit a game-winning home run in that game. And I can't remember if it was extra innings or not, but it might have been the bottom of the ninth. But Gianelli won the game. A guy by the name of Mark Sweeney had a tremendous game. He had like seven RBIs in that game. I think he hit a homer as well. He was my star of the game. So I powered through the interview with Mark Sweeney, came back up to the booth and just collapsed. I was spent and uh, basically slept in the van the whole way home. But, uh, and what a great day that was. Yeah, I think the team was heading on to Oklahoma City after yeah. the game. We spent that night in St. Louis. And uh, I remember uh, Diane, my wife, saying, yeah, we're going to come over from, from Louisville. I'm like, okay, great. But she forgot to tell me that we have no interest in coming to the game. We're only going to come over to have dinner after the game because her parents at that time lived in St. Louis in Chesterfield. So she's like, yeah, we're going to come over to St. Louis for, for the day. It's like, all right. And she arrived after the game was over. She's like, no, I had no intention of coming over for the game. There was not a soul in the stadium watching the game. I think they announced no. an attendance like 1,500 for that, for that game. Yeah, 1,500. Hey, you, got, you just mentioned something that has sparked another story, if you don't mind. You mentioned Oklahoma City, and you mentioned Dave's kind of health scare there at the ballpark. Jim, you're going to have to remember this. I don't know which year it was. We're at All Sports Stadium at Dumpy Stadium in Oklahoma City. Right. You remember how the way the booth was? It, when you walked into the, the press box, it was to the right side. It had it was a little its own little booth. It had a door, and it was really small. It could fit two people, but the second person was looking right at the frame of the window. I remember that. So, so after a period of time of coming there, finally you looked at me and you're like, "Hey." let's just do our individual innings. The other guy will sit out in the main press box and it's just, it's just too hard. Like, yeah, that's fine. So we're playing a game there. I'm in the main press box right outside the door. You're in there calling the game. We don't see it, but what happens is the mascot for the Oklahoma city 89ers was standing on top of the Redbirds dugout on the first base side and backed up too far and fell into the dugout during the game. And we didn't see it. Nobody really saw it. Uh, and all of it, the game was being televised by the Oklahoma City 89ers. Brian Barnhart, and then I don't know who his analyst's name was, but the analyst is going to be the main point of this conversation. So the TV is on with the, with, in the press box, and I hear that, and, and nobody can figure out what happened. The, the shot of the, the TV screen, you can see all the Redbird players standing around somebody that is on the ground. We don't know if it's a player, a coach. We had no idea it was the mascot that had fallen. So I peek in, and you're not sure what happened. So I'm like, I'm just going to run down, and I'm going to find out what happened. So I run down, I look in, and Vien Figueroa was there. And in his broken English, said something like, he almost fell on my head, blah, blah, blah. And I figured, I, I see it's the mascot. So I run back up, tell you it's the mascot. Before I can do anything else, I hear the TV announcers, Brian Barnhart, great professional, and his analyst, who I don't even remember who it was, talking. And the analyst all of a sudden spots out. He goes, you know who I think that is? I think it's Red Shandies. <laughs> he just spouts out on air, I think it's Red Shandies. I think he's on the ground in the Redbirds dugout. And I hear that, and I go to their booth, and I whisper into Brian's ear what happened. Blah, blah, blah. No, it's, it's your mascot. He fell in the dugout. 
So they finally get all that done. So I tell you what he says, and I can't stop laughing about it because <laughs> it was extremely comical. So we're leaving the ballpark, and you and I see the analyst coming out. And I point, and I say, hey, there's the analyst. And Jim, being the, the smart aleck that he can be, he goes, hey, what did you think happened when the mascot fell into the dugout? And the guy goes, well, you know, I'm thinking somebody's had a heart attack. Somebody old, I'm thinking it's Red Shandy's. And Jim goes, well, you didn't say that on the air, did you? And he goes, oh, no, no, I didn't say that on the air, <laughs> which obviously did because I heard it. So do you remember that, Jim? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. I do remember that. I yeah. was in Oklahoma City. Unfortunately, there was no social media and internet where somebody could have spread false rumors that Red Shandy's was having a heart attack in the dugout in Oklahoma City because that was not the case. You know, I just remember you and I laughing about it later. Like, how did he come to that conclusion? <laughs> Cardinals, AAA team. Yeah. Looks like somebody's ill, probably an older person. Who do I know in the Cardinal organization that's old? Red Shandy. Yeah, yeah that's it. Red Shandy. Yeah. I guess Red came to his mind first before Stan Musial. But for a moment, Red Shandy's was having health issues in Oklahoma City. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> well, it's a good thing it was ticker tape back then because then yeah. no one could tweet it, like you said. Uh, Matt, you were obviously David and Jim had the call for that '95 American Association Championship uh, with with the the Redbirds. You had three straight division titles. You were part of uh, the broadcast team for three straight division titles with Jim for a couple of them, and then one after he left. Any good memories from the '08 through '10 seasons when the Bats won the ILS for three straight years? Those seem a little far away from here, actually. Yeah. Lots of good memories, and um, you know the ten year was the then the year that Jim uh, was it your first year, Jim, or last year? Uh, was it your last year in Louisville? Ten? No, oh nine? No, nine was your last year in Louisville. Oh, yeah. Oh eight and oh nine. And, and the bats, the bats subsequently won the ten division title on the last day of the season on that Labor yeah. Day, making it three straight. They got a double play turn to, to win the the division. Um, but what sticks out about that group the most is that was you know that was largely orchestrated by one of the best AAA managers and he's still managing and Rick Sweet uh, and his coaching staff Smokey Garrett, Mac Jenkins, Ted Power, whoever was there at the time. Those guys were great, um, uh, great to work with, easy to work with. There was a lot of talent there. The Reds were really drafting well. Those guys, of course, went on to be a part of a couple of division titles with Cincinnati. But my tenure there is known and we I think we had five division titles from 03 to 16 and every year in round one the team would lose to Durham in round one because the west would meet up with the south in round one and the bats could never beat Durham so that's kind of what sticks out about that but that was a fun group um and, and a group by and large that was was pretty much together for those three years a lot of really good veterans Kevin Barker who I think played for the Redbirds maybe during uh, your time uh you guys' time there in the '90s, but Barker, John Atkins, Luis Boldovar, some of those guys—they they were a lot of uh, a lot of fun to be around. But Rick Sweet was—he—he kind of stirred it up. And Rick always at the AAA level had a grasp, a great grasp on his team, and he knew what button to push ahead of time. And as you know, with with the AAA level, sometimes that's to prod a guy, or sometimes it's to lay off the guy. And he seemed to always have that right answer. Let, Nick, let me say this about these guys. 
And Mark traveled with me all the time, I, I, even through 94. Isn't that right, Mark? Well, uh, part of the season, which was one of the reasons that I left, was okay. a chance to go be the number one somewhere else and, and do every inning. But uh, the decision was made during 94 that I would only make – I traveled to, like, Des Moines and Omaha and a few others, but not every place like I had the first year. Okay. So, so the traveling for two started to end there. Certainly with Dave, it wasn't uh, prevalent. And then with Matt, it was not either. But each one of these guys, and this is one of their best attributes, even though they weren't required to be at road games that they weren't technically scheduled to work, if we were going to Nashville or Indianapolis or something of that nature, and it was a weekend or they could get off, every one of them would come down and work the game. It was never a situation where they would say, you know what, I'm not scheduled to work. I'm going to lay around this weekend and take it easy. Uh, you go ahead and do the games because in order, in, in, in my estimation, and I think everybody would agree, in order to move ahead in this business, particularly when you're in the minor leagues, you're not making much money. It's all about the love of what you are doing. And with Mark and with Dave and with Matt, any opportunity to go on the road and do a game, even though they weren't scheduled, they would go ahead and do it. And they would room with me. And we found some great restaurants in all these cities that we would go to. We still do now with, with Nick. And so it, it's got to be like a love of the profession, not just, yeah, it sounds cool to do the games. I want to do them at home. You got to do them when other people are doing other things. When the, when the front office says, Thank goodness this team is going out of town after a five-game or six-game homestand. You, we, we got to get off, get out of here. And we, we would say, we, we get to go on the road and do the game. We get to keep doing the games. That's the attitude that you have to have. And I, all three of these guys had it. Yeah, I think we love the road as, as much as home. And you did something for me. You did me the courtesy in 94 when they weren't traveling me to every game of tearing your Achilles and you couldn't travel for a yeah. while. And then I got to do more road games, in fact, by myself, because you didn't make a couple of road trips because you tore your Achilles. And that, that, that was, was the Achilles first sign that you are an old man. That was Achilles tear number one. I've since oh, had one. That was the first. Okay. Yeah. And, and Mark in New Orleans, remember, I got some sort of a foot infection and my legs swelled all up and I left you down in New Orleans to finish up a series. Uh, I, I, yeah, I got that mixed up. I knew you had an Achilles injury. It was tough keeping up with all your old man injuries at that point. In that <laughs> I did have a lot of OMIs. Yeah. 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 I think Jim Weber would have powered through it. <laughs> it is a tougher man might have. Of course, Jim doesn't know he's hurt. <laughs> you know, guys, I, um, I'm sure Mark and Matt and, and Jim agree. I, I've worked for a lot of different teams in, in minor league baseball, a lot of different teams in other sports. I've never, and I, I mean this very sincerely, I was proud to be involved with the Louisville Redbirds. It was, I felt, a prestigious position to be in, even as a number two broadcaster slash ticket sales person. And I've really never felt that way. Not that I don't appreciate or think highly of other organizations that employ me. I do. But I just remember feeling like that was something special. It really was. It was the people that were there. It was working with Jim. It was the relationship with the radio station. I just, 
uh, the Cardinals organization. There was something special about it. And I was only there for three short seasons. But to this day, both my wife, Wendy, and I talk about those three years as the, the happiest, most fun three years we've ever had. That's great. That's well said, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I concur with that. And I think Dale Owens was a big part of that. Absolutely. Because we, we, we knew, yeah, we didn't get paid a ton of money. We didn't, we didn't expect we were going to. Uh, and you always knew you were going to work hard and have fun doing it. And that all stemmed down from Dale. He, you know, he was there, too, all those hours, and he made it fun. And there was you know, that pride in showing those guys the stadium club or the restaurant across the street or a place to go or let me take you back to your hotel and you wanted to showcase what we have in our city and that's that's exactly right you know the thing that dale brought to all of us was he never made us um uh, he, he 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 never rode herd on us about what we said or how we approached the broadcast he let me slash us decide what the format of the broadcast is going to be how we did it, uh, how, what we said, and, and everything that we did, he, he let us do it, and he was supportive of the radio broadcast. He didn't think the radio broadcast was just there as a courtesy. He, he really believed that the radio broadcast was vitally important to the organization. And I don't know, it is not always like that with every team. And uh, we, I know I really appreciate that all those years. Uh, Nick, a quick story about Dale that uh, I should have probably thrown in earlier about when I started with the team, but the other guys will appreciate this. I was, I was working in, in Columbus, Georgia, Class A ball club. Dale and I had kind of worked out the deal for me to come there uh, right at the end of the season, mostly through fax and, and phone calls. And my team made the playoffs, and we lost in the first round of the Sally League playoffs. Well, in my youth, inexperience, exuberance, naivety, whatever you wanna call it, I never talked to Dale. We never discussed a report date, like when I would start the job. But I didn't even think about it. So our, we lose and the season is over and so my wife and I, we get everything we own, the few little hundred dollars we have to our name, loaded in a moving van and off to Louisville we come. So we're probably talking the 6th or 7th of September, something like that. We pull into a, uh, a motel or a hotel there in Jefferson Town, sleep, get up, go rent an apartment right over there off Hurstbourne Lane. As soon as we're rested up, we're gonna make a trip over to the stadium and drop in and stop in. So we come into the office, the old office there at Cardinal Stadium. Dale's in his little office there. Um, we come in, we say hello, very cordial. A lot of the other front office people are coming down the hall and we're being introduced. And so there's a bunch of us standing in Dale's office. I don't remember Jim, if you were there or not, but you, you might've been. Someone says, so when do you start? And I thought, I don't know. Dale, who obviously also never thought of this, 
looks at his calendar desk, his desk calendar, reaches up, pulls the September page up, and goes, uh, Monday, October 17th. <laughs> so there I stand in Louisville in early September. And so I have this smile painted on my face that's just frozen. Um, and both Wendy and I are doing the math. That's like six weeks from now till you start, eight weeks till you get paid. How are we going to do this? But I never, we never talked about it. So that was my introduction. We made it, we made it through, but there's a lesson learned to always kind of iron out the details. I thought maybe you would set Dale down a little bit later on in the stadium club and say, look, we gotta, we gotta work something out here. We never mentioned it. I never mentioned it. He never talked about it again and just dealt with it. But that's good. Kind of a funny story. That's a great story. Um, you guys have been so gracious with your time. Um, maybe to wrap things up, I, I know we've talked about it a lot um, over the course of, uh, of the last hour or so, but, but maybe uh, w one more memory you have, one more uh, thing to kind of put a bow on it, maybe working with Jim or, or Jim working with one of these guys or all these guys or, or whatever it may be to, to kind of wrap things up. And uh, Mark, we can, we can start with you. I'll just say that it's very easy for me to go back. You're talking, I was in my mid-20s, not far out of school. It was a chance to call those three years has been a, has been a lot of fun. Uh, but it, it mainly just harkens, harkens on, like, like Nick, you were saying, and, and Matt and Dave and Jim, how it, when I got there, it was like the, you thought you were in the big leagues. It, was a big, it looked like a big league stadium. I mean, even – something is subtle and I, I think his first name was Bob you, you tell me our, our, our organist Ramsey what, what I mean while I was there the guy appeared on Russell wearing a Louisville Redbirds jersey on the Letterman show I mean even our organist who who <clears throat> appeared between innings was big time man everything about it said big time it all started with Dale at the top. Working with a true pro like Jim was was great, and it's uh, it's three years that I'll always cherish. It was a blast. Bob's still rocking it up there in the press box too. Good, uh, I'm glad to hear yeah. that. Yeah, Matt, we'll go to you next. A couple things stick out, and a lot of it has to do with our friendships with each other. But I'll never forget the night, November of '09, when Jim calls and 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 says, "Hey, I got I got the I got the call of calls." You know, the Reds want me up there and, you know, we're all set for you to take over. And that was very important, obviously, to me and my professional time and friendship with Jim. And then, Nick, when I got to, you know, have the chance to come back here to Columbus and, and give the reins to you, you know, I, I joked that that team that lost a franchise record 91 games and I think it was 12 or 13 drove me to wanting a partner because I was I was completely checked out. The final month of that year, I think they lost 18 of their last 19, and the winning and losing got to me at that point. Now I could give a, you know what, less. But, but uh, it, so, so getting you and then being able to give it to you and, and just the camaraderie. I mean, the fact that we've been able to put this together in two installments uh, with all the, the good friendships and the, and the, um, the good, uh, just the cohesiveness we have as, as, as friends and comrades and cohorts. 
Well said. And uh, I'm very appreciative of you and that 2012 team. Uh, Dave, how about you? Well, I, I don't think you could ask for a better partner than Jim. Uh, incredible pro, talented announcer. You know, what he went on, was able to do in the big league speaks for itself. But I just remember, um, as we kind of alluded to earlier, just hitting it off right away, uh, having a comfort level in the booth to do the games. Great opportunity for me to work with Jim and to do games at a high level like that in that atmosphere it was just tremendous. A couple of things I, I think of um, the night, and this, this involves Dale Owens again as well, but um, we brought in the Monkees for a post-game concert. 25,000 people in Cardinal Stadium for a Monkees reunion concert. Mm. My sisters are both older than me, huge Davy Jones fans. Um, place is Bedlam. I had mentioned to Dale that my sisters were there and that I was trying to get backstage passes. So um, the game ends. I come down. I'm sitting with uh, my sisters and some other family watching the show. Up comes Dale Owens in the midst of all of this. The, the general manager, the orchestrator of the whole thing, finds me somehow and hands me backstage passes and I get to take my sisters back there and they met and had pictures taken with Davy Jones. So that was a big night. And uh, I guess the other thing I think about is sitting in that booth with Jim at a certain time of night and having to have a baseball cap pulled down as far as you could because the sun would just burn into that booth and the turf was so, it was like white turf at that time of day and it just i'm sure if somebody came in and looked at us they wouldn't their their first thought wouldn't be these are two pro <laughs> broadcasters but we've got our hats pulled down as far as they would go and we could still see out uh that's what you had to do there at cardinal stadium great stuff and uh no better person to kind of put a bow on this whole thing than uh, the voice of pro baseball in louisville jim I just remember, and I'm so grateful for this, Mark, Dave, Matt, Joe, Todd, all these guys that I worked with had a passion for broadcasting, and we had a passion for having fun. I mean, each one of these guys, I can look at and remember stories like, oh, my God, we did some things that were just out of control. How did we do that, and why did we do that? But, but when it came time to do the work, Nobody of this group and nobody of that first group, Joe and, and Todd, ever slouched on the work. It's like, we know what we have to get done. We get it done. We do it in a professional manner. We had our fun, yeah, but we knew when it was time to work it and, and do it right. And every one of them did that. So I'm really proud that we found guys that were of the same mind that I was about how to do the broadcast. We wanted it to sound like a major league broadcast. Our goal every night was to make it sound like a major league broadcast. And we always didn't do that. And we would make fun of ourselves for things that didn't work the way they were supposed to work. But the fact is we tried hard every night to do it right. Everybody had the same mindset. And it says a lot for the fact that over the course of this day, all these guys that I have worked with, minus Matt Gorski, 
we've all gotten together and we have stayed in touch. I stay in touch with Mark, with Dave, with Matt. I, I talk with Joe and Todd every now and then, with you, Nick. So it's not like any one of us are like, that guy was an idiot. I don't talk with him anymore. It's like we all still stay in touch. We had a great time. We had great memories from those times that we were together. And it's so fun that we can share them with people uh, now. Well said. It, it has been a, a pleasure for me to, to, to listen to some stories. And to, to, yes, indeed, to, to, to sit here with you guys and, and very much appreciate it. Hope everyone watching has, uh, has enjoyed it too. Don't jump off right after we uh, stop the recording here. But Mark Neely, Matt Andrews, Dave Wilson, and of course, Jim Couch. Thank you guys all. Uh, great fun. Really appreciate it. Everyone stay safe out there. Thanks for tuning in and uh, hope to Thanks, see you at a ballpark again soon.